Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent more than a decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of three, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my professional knowledge coming from over a decade of work experience with my master's degree in early childhood special education and combining it with real mom life, not just the theory, to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations and you'll gain practical tools that will inspire you to get to the heart or the core of your child's behavior and make simple, yet impactful changes. So let's dive in together. Hello, and welcome back to another Core Parenting Conversation. And today's topic is inspired by a core member who wrote in for our Q&A about a topic that tends to pop up often around the beginning of the school year. And that topic is all about control. In this example, the older sister is threatening her younger sister. If you don't do what I want, you can't play with me. And I'll add in other things that I've heard, such as if you don't do what I want, I'll scream, I'll throw this, I'll hit you, I'll tell on you, etc. I'm sure you've heard something like this in your house or at the playground. I often hear an uptick about this kind of behavior at home around this time of year. And I've navigated these situations personally with my own children, especially when they come home from school and they lament about playground interactions. And for one of my children, this sounds like no one wanted to play with me. And upon further investigation, it's actually more nuanced than that. It's not that no one wanted to play with them. It's no one wants to play exactly what or how he wants to play. And I've seen this with my own children and with children I work with at different schools. This is not an isolated incident. So this uh, classic situation that I think it popped up so many times in one school year, it's the first thing that popped in my head as I wrote this podcast. And it's this fight on the playground because two children want to be Elsa and there can only be one Elsa. And when the other child doesn't relent and agree to be Anna, the other child loses it. So before I dive in to how to respond to this situation, let's just start by normalizing this behavior. If you're listening to this and relating, you are not alone and nothing is wrong with your child. This is so common in early childhood because two areas of development are really being discovered and developed. And that is their social being, which at this age, when they start playing like this around age four, five, six, seven, they start interacting more with others. They start having these imaginary play, social interactive games, and really pushing the the ends of social boundaries. Where do I end and others begin? And on the other side of this is their sense of autonomy and self. What do I want? How badly do I want it? How much do I want it? And at the intersection of these two concepts, so who they are socially and who their self is, comes into focus, what can I control and influence 
And how do I assert that control? I have some really helpful ideas to help parents and caregivers navigate these situations. But before we jump in, I need to let you know that as simple as these concepts may seem, they may feel very uncomfortable for many of us. And that may apply to you if you're unsure about boundaries, what they are and and how to assert them. Or maybe you have control and power issues, which could be maybe overly asserting control over people or people pleasing or trying to avoid conflict. Just keep the peace. So depending on if you were the bulldozer in the family that maybe you took over when a parent couldn't and so you were the one protecting the siblings or making parenting decisions as a child or on the flip side of that you were the people pleaser you just conformed to keep the peace and you were the peacemaker and you always gave up whatever you wanted just so other people wouldn't get upset all of these roles when we start talking about how to navigate and model healthy boundaries for our children in their social situations, this can feel very uncomfortable if we've lived a life in another default setting. I share this side note with you very humbly as a control freak in recovery. So I have worked through this and grappled with this and still sometimes need to overcome my default setting of trying to control the situation. My anxiety manifested itself as a huge need to feel in control over everything and everyone around me. A big part of my own self-work has been to identify what can I actually control and what can I not control and what do I need to let go of by practicing acceptance and navigating boundaries. And there's a really helpful graphic that goes around, I've seen it, where there's two concentric circles, so a smaller circle inside a bigger circle. And what's inside the small circle are the things I can control. My words, my actions, my thoughts. (laughs) And then everything outside of that are things like other people's actions, other people's words, the weather, you know, whether or not my car is starting. There are all kinds of things that are outside of my ultimate control. And the only thing I ultimately can control is how I respond. And that is just an ongoing exercise in daily life. While the rest of this conversation may focus on navigating the children's situation, there's actually a lot of self-work to be done that is buried underneath the situation. So I just wanted to draw attention to that. And that may be where you start. Or if you're like me, navigating these situations with your children can really help you internalize this concept of focusing on what I can actually control. So with that in mind, let's set the stage. Let's think of a classic example. I'm going to give you one. Maybe you already have one in your mind and you can use this and apply what I'm saying to your example in your head as I talk through it. So one child may say something like, if you don't do this, you can't play with me. Or it could be demanding or micromanaging the play. No, sit here. No, do this. No, you can't have that. You have this one. This one's mine. You're looking at the other child like, are you even enjoying this? He just keeps telling you what to do or she just keeps telling you what to do. And and you're really questioning, is the other child really even enjoying this? 
most parents automatically want to redirect and intervene the overly bossy or overly controlling child. But no, instead of trying to take power away from this child, we need to empower the other person. Because if we try and pull power away from one, we're inviting the power struggle. Visualize here a game of tug of war. (laughs) If we're trying to pull away from the child, they're going to try and pull back. So instead, we offer more power to the other child. So if they need it, they can take it. And now there's more power balance in the situation. So instead of first addressing the overly controlling child, I address the other child and I say something like, oh, do you want to be Elsa too? And the child says to me, yeah, what I've just done by pausing this interaction. So no, you can't be Elsa. I'm Elsa. There can only be one Elsa. We've paused this interaction with my question and reflection. I've shown a spotlight on this child and their want. And I boosted their voice with my voice. Now they know they've been heard. They may not be heard yet by the other child, but they've been heard by me and their voice matters. And I've given it a little oomph. I've given it a little more power just by noticing it. Now, inevitably, the other child will probably push back against that. They can't be Elsa because I'm Elsa and there's only one. Well, now I'll reflect that child's message too, because I want to validate them and I I want to empower them as well by feeling hurt. Oh, you want to be Elsa too. Huh, both of you want to be Elsa. So now all I've done is I've equally boosted both children's message. Now, here's the part that is really tricky if you don't have this own practice in your life. And I'll talk about that afterwards, but I want to get through it in the child example first. I want to highlight where their choice is. I want to give them appropriate power. And the most accessible way to do this most of the time is by highlighting their choice. They always have a choice. You have a choice. It may not be obvious. We may not like the choice. That's a tough pill as an adult. (laughs) We may not always like what our choice is, but our power comes by identifying what that choice is, where we can exercise that. As an aside for my own adult work, this practice of finding our choice in tricky situations is a huge practice for learning my own power and control, which is boundary work, right? When I get into situations with my own children or in life and realize I can't do things the way I initially wanted because I can't control everything, everyone, and every variable, I pause and I try and figure out, gosh, I can't force this person to speak kinder. And they haven't changed their words, even though I told them I'm uncomfortable with this mean gossip. So where's my choice? I can choose to ask about another topic. I'll bring up a different topic. Or I can just remove myself from this situation. And that can be super tricky because sometimes that means I'm walking away from a social situation that I otherwise really wanted to be a part of. So this whole practice, we can start 
highlighting it and helping our children develop it at a young age by highlighting where they get to make a choice. Well, you can choose what you want to be and she gets to choose what she wants to be. Seems like you both want to be Elsa. So you can choose to play together and both be Elsa or one of you can choose to be something different. Or if you want to be Elsa and only have one Elsa, you can choose to play your own game. You can't control what she's going to pretend to be. Now, I fully expect pushback. Remember, so much of this is about the child learning what they ultimately can control and pushing up against the boundary to check. So they'll probably start pushing up against you. And you're going to confidently remind them where their power is. You get to choose what you want to be. And if you want to be Elsa and the only Elsa, then you can choose whether or not you want to play with him and whether you want to play with him even if he's Elsa or play separately or be something different. (laughs) This example became so prevalent in our house when my child would come home and he wanted to play with his friends on the playground But the friends with whom he wanted to play at the time all wanted to play soccer. And back then, he didn't want to play soccer. He wanted to play a pretend game and they didn't want to play. So when they wouldn't listen to him, he tried to make them, right? No, you have to play this. No, I'm not playing that if you don't, I'm not playing with you if you don't play this. And then the kids would say, okay, I don't want to play that. I'm going to go over here and play soccer and play this game then he would get really upset. And the whole line of talking was, no one plays with me. No one wants to be my friend. When it was really discovered, no one wanted to do exactly what he wanted to do. So that shifted our conversation again on this appropriate control. And he could confidently choose to play what he wanted to play by himself, or he could confidently decide okay, I want to play with them and this is what they're playing. How can I integrate myself into this play in a way that I like? So it shifts that feeling of powerlessness and helplessness and oh, and that then turns into over-control attempts into where is the appropriate control, power, and influence and how do I integrate myself socially into these situations? Now, a part of this is helping that appropriate control feel safe by allowing the child to safely process the upset over not being able to control the situation. For people who have bigger needs for control, their anxiety can spike when they feel less. (laughs) This conversation is made possible through my core membership program. If you want to dive deeper into parenting questions, connect with a like-minded community, have access to a huge database of workshops, guidebooks, and weekly Q&As with me so I can answer all of your parenting questions, all for less than $20 a month, go to www.kayleekukla.com backslash core to learn more. That's www.caleykukla.com backslash C-O-R to learn more. It's also linked in the show notes. Now let's get back to our core conversation. 
One of the ways we can help them feel safe with appropriate amounts of control is by letting them experience that upset during situations like this, like play social situations, and realizing it's still a manageable, safe situation. I can handle this. We can handle this. These situations with a high need for control can increase around the start of school or other life transitions because children feel so out of control in so many other areas of their life. Think about the lack of choices they have when they're at school, who to sit by, what they read, what they learn about, how they sit, when they get to change activities, what they eat, when they eat, sometimes even when they use the bathroom. Right? Depending on the age and the classroom and the school and the situation, children may have various levels of control and feel really out of control in a lot of situations. This feeling of helplessness or lack of control can bubble up at home while they try to overexert control and create a familiar feeling of helplessness or lack of control in a sibling or parent, or maybe when you go to the playground and with peers. Along with confidently asserting boundaries, we can also give them places they can feel empowered by making meaningful choices and contributions to the family. So I have a few examples. This is not an exhaustive list. Uh, This is one that is highly dependent on the child and what they really enjoy uh, and where they're willing to participate. But I'm just going to share some examples with you that we use at home that have been really helpful for our family. When one of my children gets stuck on this demand and control spiral after school, I invite him to choose the side dish for dinner when it's appropriate, right? Which salad mix do you want to use? Which vegetable? Uh, How do you want to cut this? That kind of thing. Um, And then help prepare it. He absolutely loves having that influence over something that really does affect the family. He's really making an impact. And he loves making a meaningful contribution. And he'll highlight it for himself when we're sitting at the table eating together. Another way is I like to play a control game is I let let the kids be Simon during a game of Simon Says or let them be in charge of the music during freeze dance when the adults, okay, this is key. It's not just like the siblings or the peers, but it's when child and parent are playing together. When the adults are doing the dancing, the child is stopping the music for freezing. Other imaginary games for role reversal or power plays, what I call it, role reversal power plays, could be the child is cooking for you. So they're in their kitchen pretending to cook um, and you don't like the food. And they're telling you, oh, no, that's all we have. You have to eat that or there's nothing else, right? They're, They're on that little power trip as the chef in the back. Or Maybe they're the teacher and you're the student and they're assigning you work. They're the superhero rescuing you or the monster scaring you, right? They have control over the play and the situation. Maybe even they're the parent and you're the child. I played a game one time with a friend, a client of mine, where I would pretend I was walking and I would get stuck in the mud. And he would have to rescue me from being stuck in the mud while we walked around the block. These all help the child experiment with different levels of control within the safety of pretend. Because yes, children crave autonomy. They need practice flexing this control muscle. But if they're given too much or feel like they have the ultimate and unlimited control, it can actually overwhelm them and feed anxiety. 
So as parents and caregivers, this is the line we walk and attune to their needs as it comes up. And each child will be different. Some children are okay totally giving up control and they just kind of go with the flow and yeah, sure, whatever, I'll be Anna, you be Elsa, I don't care. Uh, Some children (laughs) need to push up against everything and try and exercise their own autonomy and agency. Finding that sweet spot is an ongoing process with a continuous feedback loop. Because I will tell you, even my child who has a bigger need for control, that changes day to day. Sometimes moment to moment. (laughs) With that in mind, I'll leave you with this. Don't think about taking power away from one child. Think about empowering both children by highlighting where their power is and what their choices are in that situation. This may feel very uncomfortable to you if you're unfamiliar with boundaries and healthy control. This is like a muscle. The more we flex it, the more we practice it, the more automatic and smoother that that motion becomes. If you want to learn more about any piece of this puzzle, I recommend checking out my core community. I have workshops and workbooks all about boundaries, navigating social dynamics in early childhood, and private Q&A sessions for members. You can find out more or join this incredibly supportive community by heading over to kayleekukla.com backslash core, C-O-R. It's linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. If this podcast was helpful for you, please consider leaving a review, sharing it with a friend, or posting on social media. All of this helps spread the word of raising kind, empowered humans. Have a wonderful week.